welcome to the Renew the Mind podcast with the pastoral staff of Christ Community Church. I'm Pastor Daniel. This is Pastor Ryan, Pastor Jeff, Pastor Patrick. And uh, our goal for this podcast is to help all of us at CCC to be obedient to the call of Romans chapter 2, which commands, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. And uh, we've been talking through 1 Timothy. Last time we made it through 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11. So we're going to jump off in verse 12 this week. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Jeff. Great. Awesome. Welcome, everyone. Well, we're going to continue here with verse 12. Just a little bit of recap. Uh, Paul ends this last uh, section with a vice list. And so he is commanding Timothy not to teach anything, any pattern or behavior or doctrine that is not in accordance with what he calls the glorious gospel of the blessed God that he had been entrusted with. Now he's going to move on to a new section, verse 12. Now, just so you guys know, I am reading from what's called the Lexham English Bible, which is a pretty stark, literal type of translation, very similar to the NASB. These guys are all using the CA, CSB, uh, very, also a very commendable um, translation. What is that one? It's the Coleman Study Bible? Christian Standard Bible. It's the it used to be the Standard. Holman Standard. Yeah, it used to be the HCSB, the yeah. Holman Christian yeah. Standard So the Bible. Christian Standard Bible, standard which is, that is the one that I use on Sunday morning. But right now I'm just reading from a slightly different translation just to give a little bit of different flavor. It's not pretentious. It's Baptist. <laughs> yes, it's Baptist. Southern. Quite Southern. One strike. Yeah. Uh, in verse 12, he says, uh, I give thanks to the one who strengthens me. Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he considered me faithful, placing me into ministry. Although I was, for, I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, but I was shown mercy because I, I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord uh, abounded with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So we'll stop there. Um, Paul's gratitude that Christ Jesus considered him faithful um, is the thing that he starts with here. It's the discussion point that he wants to start. Uh, and it, and so he talks about Jesus placing him into ministry. And the word that he uses for ministry here is the word diakonia, which is where we get the word deacon. Uh, when we encounter that word in the book of Acts, which is what you're preaching on this weekend. Or what you would have heard weeks ago. What you would have heard weeks ago, what uh, Pastor Patrick has already... That was an epistolary aorist. Um, but uh, Patrick preached on this. Uh, you know what? Let's do a hard cut right here. Collie, cut it right here. Get rid of all that. Okay. Uh, so what you would have preached on in Acts, what is it? Acts chapter six. Acts chapter six. The same word is used to to derive service, or someone is about to serve. So whether deacons were actually mentioned or not is up for debate, but it was service is what was being rendered. Right. Yeah. And and what in your study of that, do you think that that is the establishment of the deacon office there I in think Acts it's chapter six? The beginning six? of a wave that is created, and that Paul will ride into the New Testament and uh, the early church era. Yeah. Sure. Now, in the books of First and Second Timothy and Titus, we're going to encounter Paul actually has, <clears throat> excuse me, Paul actually has uh, criteria for choosing 
deacons in the church. So it seems, at least by the end of the New Testament, which these are the last books of the New Testament, mm-hmm. it seems by the end of the New Testament, it's developed into a full-blown... Right, because only, he only gives three qualifications and acts at the beginning of this, right. which is to be of good reputation, be full of the Spirit, and wise. So those are the early three qualifications wow. that were yeah. given. And then we see Paul... And much more developed yeah. when we get to it in First Timothy. Okay, that's that's interesting. But that's he yeah. he actually refers to himself as diaconia. He refers to himself as a deacon. Mm-hmm. So this he clearly still has a general uh, definition of this word. Um, he clearly has that. Uh, it's, so it's the role of position of serving in a ministry task. So another place where he has it um, would be Acts twenty twenty four. He says that I may complete my course of life and my ministry, which I received from the Lord. And that whole idea of my course of life there is his course of service um, as a deacon. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, as pastors and elders, we're all we're we're also deacons. Mm -hmm. Um, But but we're much more. No, just kidding. (laughs) Your thoughts on that. Paul's attitude towards servant leadership. Yeah, I mean, I think it's exactly what you see uh, in Jesus Christ. I don't think he's changing anything. I think he's picking up exactly what Christ taught and how he wanted his disciples to be those who, um, in ushering in this kingdom, serve others, you know? Right. And we, we think of the most notable example of him washing the disciples' feet and demonstrating to them that the, that the disciple is not greater than the master. And if the master is serving them in this manner, then how ought they to serve others? Mm-hmm. Um, right. And so very much ministry, at least how I think of it, I know my brothers here think of it is that we are trying to serve people as faithfully as possible, um, serving yeah, them and right. through teaching the word, serving them on, uh, trying to grow them, uh, in the word and, um, trying to be faithful in those endeavors. Right on. So, and so. what I preached on a couple of weeks ago was that service is not identical amongst each other, that there's a <laughs> uniqueness in which we're called to serve. We're called to serve in different areas based on our gifts that we've been given, mm-hmm. but it's the same heart, which is rendering service to build up the church into maturity. Right. And we need to see each other as uh, all part of that big family, big body. How would this be a different, Daniel, how would this be a different ethic than the Greeks and Romans and their approach to leadership? Oh, um, the there was more of a master and commander. Uh, t- it was a top-down. Yeah. Authority was uh, uh, insulated in yeah. these one leaders. Right. And sorry, in the in the one leader, uh, and whatever they said was holy writ for you. Right. Yeah. And uh, I actually have a question. Uh, question. So Paul, like a few weeks ago, we talked about how Paul was commanded. Uh, Paul was an apostle at the command of Jesus Christ, and here he's talking about um, feeling he was appointed to ministry. He's he's feeling gratitude that he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry. Do you think that? Uh, in this sense, Paul is speaking about his appointment as an apostle or his appointment in general as a servant of Christ. Is this, or is there, are there two different, uh, does he kind of define those two things differently or is, is he speaking about his appointment as an apostle here? I, I don't know. I think he could be doing either one. Yeah, I think it's both. Things. He's going to go on to say in verse 13, <clears throat> although I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, but I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And so that, to me, seems like he's talking generally about mm-hmm. just being saved. 
and and really saved from his blasphemous life as a rabbinic Jew. And I think that the uh, the point of that is is when you're talking about the the concept of servant. We are we are servants here. We've been called into a ministry of service to God and to one another. Uh, that that wasn't just a special thing for Paul. Yeah. That that is part of our calling. Yeah. That when, right. when we receive right. this mercy, having formerly been sinful and arrogant, yeah. you know, then right. you're appointed um, to ministry. You know? That we are, yeah, yeah. That we are called into ministry. And Ephesians talks about we we've been set apart for good works. Yeah. For for these acts of service from uh, before time and. So this isn't Paul just speaking. Ex- I don't think that this is Paul just speaking exclusively about his role as an apostle. Right. Um, so I think you're referring conceptually there to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does anybody know it by heart? I know the NIV, I think. No, I don't. Lay it on us. Well, he says, For it is by grace that you have been mm-hmm. saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, so that no one can boast. Yeah. Um, and then he says, um, for we were created in Christ Jesus in verse 10 to do good works, which he had prepared for us, uh, beforehand, before the foundation of the world. So it, so he's talking about everybody there. Yeah. Verse 10, we always talk about being saved by grace through faith and not works so that no one can boast. But then verse 10, he clearly is saying to everyone who has been saved by grace through faith and not by works, you're saved for works. Yeah. Yeah. You're saved into the ministry. Into yeah. this ministry of service. Yeah, yeah that's great. Um, discipleship is a ministry. Like yes. You being a disciple. That's part of you, how you grow. Yeah. Is you yeah. serve others. Um, yeah, great insight. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, so it's the ignorant and unbelieving who need Christ's mercy most of all. That's what he calls himself. I, so he calls himself, I think, three things here. A blasphemer. So what does it mean for Paul to be a blasphemer? And two, he was ignorant, but he was an educated Jew. He knew the Torah or the Tanakh, um, which is what they call the Old Testament. He knew that better than anybody. Mm. And then he says, uh, I I was ignorant. I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was a violent man. So what does it mean for him to have been a blasphemer? Because I don't remember anywhere in Acts where he was cursing the name of Jesus. That's te- typically how we think of blasphemy. I don't think you can separate blasphemy and ignorance. I think those two have to go together to understand what he's intending. Sure. I was trying to do the right thing, but I was ignorant. And by d- trying to do the right thing, I was blaspheming God's actual mission, right. his actual message. Yeah. So those things are tied. Okay, so then and how does that tie to being a violent persecutor of the church? Exactly. Yeah, it's not that necessarily he was saying by his words that he's cursing God, but by his actions he was showing yeah, there we go. that he's cursing it's right. Christ. It's he was cursing. He was, I mean, you know, Jesus, whenever he stops him on the road, he says, why are you persecuting me? You're persecuting my people. Right. You know? I, was so, gonna, I was just getting ready yeah, to ask you that. What did so. Jesus say when he appeared yeah. to him? And I, I think this is important. It's a violation of the commandment, do not take the Lord's name in vain. Mm. That's more than saying... GD it. Uh, yeah, 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 bad word. It is a, I am doing thus and such in the name of the Lord when it is not, it's not of, of his great character, point. of his nature. Yeah, of point. His, um, and so Paul was acting in his Phariseeism in the name it's of the Lord yeah. as a representative of this is the will of God. Right. And clearly it was not. <laughs> yeah. um, great point. And that made him a blasphemer. That made him a blasphemer. And, and I would say culturally for the Jew, uh, to set yourself against the Jewish nation, 
the chosen people of God, the people who, yeah. according to the word of God, yeah. have been chosen. God's special possession. God's yeah. special possession for you to set yourself against the Jewish nation as far as they were concerned. Remember, God said uh, in the Torah, he said, uh, anyone who blesses you, I'll bless. Mm. But then anyone who curses you, I'll curse. Yeah. And so there was this idea of, boy, you're blaspheming God if you set yourself against the Jewish nation. And so this is why when Jesus is standing before Caiaphas, I think we mentioned this uh, in one of our earlier sessions, when Jesus is standing before Caiaphas and he quotes Daniel chapter 7 self-referentially, so he quotes that passage of the Son of Man ascending to the Ancient of Days, receiving all dominion and authority and power over the nations, and but then by inference he's making them subject to him and basically telling them uh, that they are the apostate Jews of Daniel chapter 7. This is why Caiaphas then rips his garments. This is blasphemy. Not because he claimed to be the son of man. Any Jew could have claimed that. It's just that I'm the son of man and I'm judging you. (laughs) I've come to to bring judgment to you. And that for them was blasphemy. So where in uh where in Acts is it that uh So yeah, it's at the end of Acts five when Gamaliel stands up and he says, Be careful what we're doing here. We don't want to be found found oh, yeah. opposing God. And the very next chapter is the description of Stephen's martyrdom with Paul's approval over yeah. it. And so the connection to him mm-hmm. yes. being a blasphemer there in opposition to what perfect, God was, God perfect was doing. correlation. Yeah. That's uh, perfect. So yes, that that just highlight illustrates perfectly th- that opposition to the purposes of God was also considered blasphemy. So Paul thinks he was a blasphemer. He was a blasphemer of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, more than any a- famous atheist like Richard Dawkins or Chris Hitchin you you've ever heard who mm-hmm. they do blaspheme the Lord too, but he was a highly religious person trained yeah. in the the word of God do who was think- blaspheming the Lord. So I know this is probably a very Dante's Dante-esque division. Do you think that there is a uh, a greater blasphemy for those who know the word, who know who have the scriptures, who have the light, the the some some you know some type of yeah. revelation, yeah. versus those like Christopher Hitchens who, uh, or or uh, I know that Christopher Hitchens had a pretty intimate knowledge of the of the scriptures, but um, but for those who, you know, maybe born in a yeah in a faithless house, never really sure. exposed to that stuff, do you think that there is a harsher judgment for those inside the inside the community exposed to the revelation of God who blaspheme, who who claim um, sure. that they are on the side of right or on the side of you know righteousness? I think of Matthew twenty three outside who is <laughs> kind of firing shots from sure. the from outside the walls. So to give to answer that, this would be my quick answer. Romans 1 and Matthew 23. Two different very different groups of people. Mm-hmm. Matthew 23 is directed toward the Pharisees and scribes. Too much is given, much is given. And Matthew 23 is the list of Jesus's woes or these oi uh in Greek they would be ouai, but in, in the Hebrew it would be oi, you know, like woe to you. And so those are given, so Jesus reserved his strongest language of judgment to the most religious group of people. So people who are very religious, very biblically literate, very theologically literate, 
as lost as a man can be or a woman can be. But then in Romans, that verbal tirade, I mean, that is a spiraling judgment passage of God's wrath being revealed against the unrighteousness and ungodliness of people. Those are Gentiles. I mean, he's talking about the human race there. Mm-hmm. So I think blasphemy is blasphemy. And I don't know if there are greater degrees of judgment, but Jesus did talk about people being beat with fewer blows and yeah. <laughs> uh, in hell. Yeah. <clears throat> there was some millstone language yeah, yeah, towards right, the, uh, right. the, the religious. So there yeah. might be some, some degrees of punishment, just like we have in our judicial system today. I don't know that. But I think that's a very interesting question. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It reminds me of what Peter said, you know, if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, mm-hmm. how much more the ungodly. I don't know if that has any relation. <laughs> but it just, I, I it thought about that. Past, yeah. I liked it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I agree completely with Jeff. I, I don't know if there's a hard and fast scripture we can go to. My mind went to Romans 1 as well. Kind of the Hebrews warning passages as well, even though it's on the opposite side. Like, and, you know, obviously I... You know, I do believe salvation is from the Lord. I, I believe right. that the Holy Spirit seals us, but there is something to wrestle with in those warnings of those yeah. who might have tasted, you know, and For I don't sure. know exactly what that means, but there, there's something oh, I there. Do. And, then all <laughs> 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 and then there's also, you know, on the even on the flip side, there's the, the warning uh, for us in James, for, the, for those who want to be teachers, you know, not many of you should that's be. True. So Yeah, that's right. With, with greater, with, yeah, with greater on this side of the spectrum of those who are actually studying this, and we have to be cognizant of that warning. Maybe there is something on those who are dabbling. I don't know. That's yeah, tough. So yeah, yeah. I but think you're onto something there. Uh-huh. The thing that should be encouraging though is for those who were formerly blasphemers. Yeah. That if Paul, <laughs> who yeah. was, you know, who was giving the, the, the thumbs up to yeah. to the death of people, actively, you know, in opposition to the work of the Lord can be saved by grace through faith and yeah. shown mercy. Great, great segue. Let's you go right into that. <laughs> he says, although I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, but I was shown mercy That's because right. I, I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Then he says, and the grace of our Lord abounded with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Okay. He goes, the saying is trustworthy and worthy of all acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. So he says, I was the worst ever. The word foremost is a Greek word that means I was the first, the chief, the the prototype. It's where we get the word prototype. He says, so I was the prototype, but then look at this. He says, but because of this, I was shown mercy in order that in me foremostly, or as a prototype, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his total patience for an example for those who are going to believe in him for eternal life. So exactly what Daniel was just saying. Mm -hmm. If Paul, as an ignorant, blasphemous, violent person who persecuted the church, he says, as the worst, God chose me to be the type. And the word that he uses here, for example, is the word tupas, Mm -hmm. or a version of the word tupas, which means a type. And we find that word in, I think, 2 Corinthians 10, uh, and some other passages in the New Testament where it just means example. I'm the prototype. Mm-hmm. If you want to know the extent of God's mercy and what the mercy of God can do, just look at me. Mm-hmm. If God could do this for me, yeah, do it for you. there is no one off limits to grace. Right. There's no one beyond the reach of grace, right? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, great, great insight there, Daniel. Thanks for thinking ahead. But yeah. then that's also the, the ministry that he was called to. So he's called to replicate that thing. And I think we see that in his letters to all the churches. He's offering grace to people that we would not want to offer grace to. 
So he's replicating the very thing that was done to him. Right. That's how we get his heart. So what does he mean in Galatians that the Galatians have fallen from grace? Oh, man. <laughs> I don't know I'd, what it means either, but... I'd say I think <laughs> fallen from the... Uh, the dependence a, upon the grace of God in the gospel, that they are reverting back right. to uh, the slavery of works. of, of Right. They're no uh, longer experiencing the blessing that grace is. They have cut yeah. themselves off from grace. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Not that it is gone, but they no longer have access. They, ha- they have abandoned the, the message and abandoned yeah. the, That's good. the discipline that connects you to grace that way. Yeah. Right, right. The experience of grace. Anyway, that was a short yeah. excursus. <laughs> <laughs> We wanted uh, to get that word in at least once. Your toes, boys. So there's one word here. So there's a word that the CSB translate as an arrogant man that you translated as a violent man. Hmm. Uh, yes. Yeah. What? What's the? Uh, what verse is that? That would be thirteen. 13. Mm-hmm. One who was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. Or you you translated it violent. Yes. Uh, let me let me find it. Let's see. The former, he's slandering, blaspheming, and persecutor. And well, ESV says insolent opponent. Well, it's the word. Um, That's oh, it's the word hubriste, which where which is where we get the word hubris. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you exactly what that word means. It means uh, one who insults in an arrogant manner, one who insults with a view toward violence. Wow. So it can be translated violent. It can also be translated arrogant, yes. or you could translate it. The concept of the word is a, a person who has enough hubris to cause violence in your life. Right and that's what um, he did in persecuting the church. That is exactly he what he did. the coats of people approving the, the death of Stephen. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is right. Yeah. Gladiator and who's like the bad villain there who like has Commodus. Commodus. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Just yeah. that presence. But yeah. An assaultive arrogance. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what makes me think of. Sorry, that was Paul. That was no, a, that great, was a little word great question. That I was wondering awesome. About. If you have any movie questions, be sure to ask these two. <laughs> yeah, <everything>. right. <laughs> if you have Bible questions, <laughs> you can ask <laughs> us. But no. okay, I'm so just the color commentary. That's all I do. <laughs> uh, so he says he was ignorant in the grace of our Lord, uh, and then verse fifteen, he says the saying is trustworthy. And what do your versions say there? The CSB the saying is trustworthy. Yeah. Okay, so the word saying here, I. Can I just point out one technical thing? And this is for my my um, friends who are of a more of a word of faith or prosperity gospel tradition. And I do have some friends who are deeply, deeply in that tradition. There is a misnomer. It's actually a myth that the difference between the Greek words rhema and lagos, which both of those words mean word. Hmm. Right. So the word lagos means word. The word rhema or rhematos also means word. There is a, a false teaching in the church today that the rhema is the living word. That's like a prophetic word. And the lagos is just the written word. Okay, so here, when he says the saying, he uses the word lagos. He could have easily used the word rhema. Yeah. Uh, those words are almost entirely interchangeable in the New Testament. They do not sustain those nuanced meanings. And I just wanted to bring that up. Um, so, but this is a saying. This word, lagizomai, or lagos, this is a saying. 
Um, obviously, this was a saying in the church because the, he assumes he would have been familiar with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like the saying, you know, like uh, like we quote Spurgeon or somebody yeah. today. Yeah. Uh, but he's saying this is a saying in the church, and it's trustworthy, and it's deserving or worthy of all acceptance. Now, one sentence, remember we talked a while back about how do we condense the gospel into one drinkable drop? There you go. Right? This is it. Right there. <laughs> right here. So I want to unpack this. Uh, do we have time? We got a, We just got a couple minutes left. Maybe unpack we can. Yeah. Let's do it next time. <laughs> Let's do it next time. So, so in the in the last couple minutes, um, so there's a lot of like beef that people have with Christianese and the way that it kind of makes oh, people yeah. on the outside, you know, make makes the 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 newcomer feel like, oh, I don't know the the lingo and stuff. Is this a is this a first century uh, example of kind of Christianese that develops Christ died for sinners? Um, sort of a, a refrain that is easily passed around, easily understood and communicated. Um, or is you know is this something different? I think and this is an axiom. To you know, this is an axiomatic saying. This is something that is so foundational. In other words, an axiom is just that wall that you go back to um, and there's nothing past that wall, right? So this is the most foundational Mm. truth of the Christian faith right here. So I don't know if it's Christianese yet, but I do know that a lot of the stuff that we call Christianese today was common parlance for them. Like the word justification, an unbeliever today might not know that, but in the first century, everybody knew what it meant to be justified. Mm. If you said someone, if you use the word acquitted, uh, everyone in our culture would know that term, yeah, true. Yeah. right? Yeah. So I think there is a responsibility of the church today to use biblical terminology, terminology that was commonplace for them, translated into our terminology, but sometimes there just isn't an adequate word. Yeah. And, and I would also say I'm a little annoyed that I just read an article on this. I'm glad you asked the question. But I just read an article by a pastor who said in the article we should not use weird Christian language in our sermons. Mm. And I thought, all of Christian language is weird <laughs> if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian. The project of discipleship Drink is teaching them to obey all I've commanded yeah. you, which means you got to learn some new vocabulary. The yeah. concept of grace is weird in it's all weird. of human yeah. history. It's foreign. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's it. We're right done. on. Well, thank you guys for joining us. We love you. We're going to look forward to the next time we get to see all your smiling faces and Join us next week.